Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Podcast for the working cowboy. Well, howdy there, daylight burners. Happy uh it would be Tuesday, I suppose. Um been uh been kind of kicking around this idea for a little while and <coughs> excuse me. I've got some shit in my lungs that I can't quite get hacked up for the last couple of days. So bear with me, but anyways, I, uh, somebody was asking me about um, something to deal with uh, the agriculture profession uh, here the other day. It was uh, not necessarily a city friend, uh, like big city, but like uh, I think it was a rural rural person, but um, maybe lived in town or or not involved directly in in agriculture, maybe mining or something. I, I don't know. I can't remember exactly who, but I don't remember exactly what they asked me, but I, I, I remember that I did not know the answer to it. And I didn't have a real good reason as to why. I, <clears throat> I stay pretty informed on uh, day-to-day current event type stuff. Um, I'm, I'm fairly up-to-date on, uh, like, on policy at the federal level. I'm completely clueless when it comes to Nevada news and I'm for the most part pretty useless when it comes to agricultural news too. I don't listen to the radio at all. And uh that's that used to be where I'd get all my ag news from, you know, it was uh it was Paul Harvey, you know, he's been dead for a while now, but um and then you know the market report and <clears throat> And then there's always the, you know, like the fence post, Western Ag Reporter, um, you know, 
High Plains Journal. <coughs> you name it. There's a lot of a lot of publications. Progressive Cattle, Progressive Farmer, uh, Feedlot Magazine, Beef Magazine, Drovers, and I don't want to. I don't want to talk too bad on them, but they all kind of suck. I, I spent. I planned on recording this last night, but I. And maybe it was just what I was searching, but I, I went to like the big outlets that I I could think of, um, you know, like Drovers and uh, and Beef Magazine and uh, Fence Post, like the ones I, I mentioned. And man, they just kind of read like a a small town newspaper. And I know we're all from small towns, and 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 I've uh, I've got an affinity for small town newspapers. I. I been a while since I read one of those too, but growing up for me it was the Plainsman Herald. They're based out of Springfield, and then um, we even had two two weekly newspapers in Baca County for for a little while. Um, but the Plainsman Herald was kind of the the standard. That was like the New York Times of Baca County, and uh, and then Baca Weekly was was the newer one. And I, I think back a weekly closed down and I'm pretty sure Plainsman Herald is still around, but um but if you're from a small town and uh and by small town I mean like less than ten thousand people. Um and preferably less than a thousand. You know, or, or let's say less than less than like twenty five hundred people. That those are the towns that I, I grew up around. And and all those newspapers were the same. There was uh, there was local news. There was a few uh, national headlines, and and then there was like a lot of sports pictures from the from the high school. And it was just it was community based stuff. And and I get that you know agricultural people for the most part, particularly farmer and rancher, they're they're living out in rural America, small towns. Uh but their publications also, I mean, like pretty large regional, um, sometimes nationwide publications. And, and it's just like such and such FFA chapter was awarded this medal or this award. And, uh, and then like there, it was just underwhelming at best. So I, I spent way too long researching and then I kind of, kind of pooped out so but i came back at it with a with an increased vigor today um uh, i'm vigorous vigorous in my research uh don't let any let anybody tell you any different um and, and so this is a, a show i'm gonna start out I, I don't know what the frequency will be um we'll see if we do it weekly um i'm gonna try but um but it'd be good for me to uh, familiar familiarize myself with uh, the goings on within this industry, which I work, which I'm, I haven't been very good at. Honestly, I could uh, I could tell you some back and forth about the speaker uh, fight, and I could tell you a whole lot about the Ukraine Russia war, and I could uh, tell you a whole lot about the the backstory behind this the current Israel Hamas war, which we'll we'll touch on briefly. Um. But I I don't know like what what's going on through the agriculture committee. Um, I don't know a whole lot about what's going on with different laws. Uh, 
affecting you know animal producers or or farmers in in certain states <clears throat> California usually gets uh gets all the attention there but there's there's plenty of there's plenty of dirty shit going around everywhere so it'll be a good good way for me to stay up to date stay informed and uh and also spew a bunch of bullshit onto your ears that maybe you'll learn something and uh become like me well informed and a useful member of society that's what i'm telling myself and i'm uh i'm gonna continue telling myself that but uh i said we'd touch touch on israel hamas um blanket statement everything going on over there is horrible all of it hate it all um too many innocent people dying, like one's too many, but there's there's a whole bunch on both sides, and uh, now uh, we've got this uh, looming invasion of of the Gaza Strip by Israel, which uh, it's hard to say it's not warranted um, after after the the attack on them. Um. But I kind of expected them to be in already. Like Israel's not n- known for a hell of a lot of restraint, you know. Like they—that's a pretty ugly conflict that's been. People like to say thousands of years, but um, honestly, it started in like 1920 when uh, I was talking with uh, with the boys the other the other day and. None of them endorse this comment. This is just strictly my thinking. I think Europe is the problem behind the whole world. Um, If you go back to when the Zionists started uh, fleeing Europe and and settling in what's now Israel, (laughs) then called Palestine under British rule, it was because they were getting treated shitty in Europe. And... um, and because of that, they they decided they needed to go back to the old homeland. And um, 1948, after they, the whole world was like, holy shit, these guys have been through a lot. Um, they probably need some land. Went before the UN, uh, bleep, 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 bloop. I don't know exactly the process on that, but 1948, State of Israel <coughs> is created. <coughs> The the Arabs, Palestinians living in the area kind of got the short end of the stick on that whole deal. And it's been um, a series of border wars and many genocides kind of ever since. Um, and uh, nu- uh, nuclear weapons is kind of what deterred Israel being from being, well, and, and uh, backing from the U.S. Uh, government has uh kept kept Israel a free state over there. Well, it's an independent state. I wouldn't say they're free. They're pretty pretty authoritarian over there. But that's neither here nor thou. Uh here 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 or there. Um what is really at stake here in in this Gaza thing is is not so much the Palestinians themselves. Um it it all has to do with Israel, and uh, so actually, let me look up here on the map. So this is kind of what 
um, what we're looking at here. So Israel is, I'm going to switch tabs right here. So on Google Earth, right here, right here you see Jerusalem. I'm going to change my screen here. There you go. All right, so Jerusalem's here, and uh, Egypt is over here. So this is the, the Sinai Peninsula. You zoom in, and this little deal here is the Gaza Strip. Little bitty piece of land, uh, 2.3 million people or something like that. Half of them being children, uh, essentially. Um, surrounded by by Israel on three sides, and then Egypt over here. Uh, this is essentially the only border crossing into Egypt. Um, and it's closed. Uh, it was bombed. I don't know whether it was by the Israelis or the, the Palestinians, you know, or, or Hamas. Maybe it was, maybe it's just Egypt saying, fuck you, we're not going. But there's, uh, Israel also has a blockade around uh, the Gaza Strip by sea. And uh, so that's that's in southern Jerusalem there. Now we zoom out a little bit, and you have, uh, here's Beirut and Lebanon, and you have the border, the northern border with Israel over here. Um, <clears throat> you have Syria over here. Um, yeah, so Lebanon's here. Syria's here. Uh, both of them hate Israel. Uh, they both, uh, fund Hamas, uh, send a lot of aid into Palestine. Uh, Egypt is kind of, uh, not so neutral third party, but they're neutral-ish. Um, and Jordan is pretty friendly with, with the United States. I don't know, probably not as much with, uh, with Israel because there's a lot of like ethnic Palestinians in Jordan. But, um, so what Israel I think is worried about right now, from what I understand, they haven't, they haven't launched their invasion into Gaza, but they are worried about Hezbollah from uh, Lebanon launching an invasion while they're preoccupied with um, with the Gaza situation. And if that happens, then shit could really kick off. And Or if the, the Israelis decide to go ham in, in Gaza and just level everything and kill a whole bunch of, whole bunch of women and children the Arab world may not, they may not have it. You know, they, they might just say, no, we're, we, you can't do that. And, uh, away we are into, uh, <clears throat> the great unknown of, uh, world war three. Hmm. I'm trying to find which layout I like here better. Uh, I'll go with this one, but so this news is from agricultural dive agriculture dive um israel hamas war prompts concern over global fertilizer supply we had we had this uh this whole debacle when russia invaded ukraine and it's not so much not so much from uh the export 
uh, from Ukraine or anything. It's it's mostly the the sanctions that the most of the world. Well, I wouldn't say most, but most of the Western world put on Russia. Meaning we quit buying fertilizer from them. Saw a huge spike in uh, in prices and a shortage in supply. <clears throat> this one is looking to be like it could be a minor scenario compared to that, but still also um, also could lead to some some real crazy shit so um latest war between israel and the militant palestinian group hamas is sparking fears of shock with fertilizer supply and prices as a major shipping hub near gaza operates in emergency mode all right so we'll flip back over google earth and uh come back down here to israel and the gaza strip um so gaza's right here and this port that they're talking about is called Ashdod. I guess it's about 30 miles from the northern edge of the, the Gaza Strip. So um, it could be right in the, the line of fire uh, if, if stuff really pops off. Um, while Israel's port of Ashdod, which is a major gateway for potash exports, uh, remains open. Ocean carriers are facing restrictions and in some case in cases implementing war risk surcharges on cargo. So any any cargo that goes in and out of that, that port there in Israel is going to have a little extra fee uh, from the insurers because you have a, a, a huge increased risk of uh, being boarded, taken over, having your cargo seized, or or just sank. You know, there's um war is pretty fucking ugly. Uh ICL Group, one of the world's largest fertilizer companies, said in an emailed statement that operations continue to function during this time of emergency. Um the manufacturer has increasingly relied on Ashdod in recent years, according to a Scotiabank analysis. Um <coughs> A deadly escalation of the Israel-Palestine con conflict has turned into an all-out war, which could bring new risks to global trade, depending on the extent of the fighting. Trade moving in and out of Ashdod, around 30 miles from the Gaza border, is currently subject to attack by missiles, according to Marine Liability Insurer North Standard. Hazardous materials, materials are also subject to strict entry restrictions. So, um, it's a tough port to get into because Israel don't trust nobody around there. And with, with good reason. With uh, good reason. Uh, insurers have imposed additional war risk premiums on ships calling uh, Israeli ports. And the increased costs are beginning to be passed on to exporters. Exporters. Um, Israel-based Zim is charging as much as 120, uh, per f 120 bucks for 20-foot equivalent unit. Hmm. Uh, Israel is a major producer of potash and around two to three percent of supply remains at risk due to uh, due to the ongoing going war. <clears throat> um, analyst Ben Isaacson said in the side note in a Scotiabank note, the country is not a major producer of nitrogen or phosphate. Um, fertilizer stocks rallied following the Hamas task, uh, attack on Israel, according to Morningstar analysis. 
but it's unlikely to cause a major rise in prices like what occurred at the start of the Russia-Ukraine war in 2022. Where was the... Oh, this right here. So markets are closely watching how the war in Israel unfolds. An expansion of the war to include countries such as Iran and Egypt could bring more substantial shipping disruptions, including the Suez Canal and the Strait of Hormuz. So, back to Google Earth. Zoom out. So, remember, we got Gaza Strip here. Here is the Egyptian Sinai Peninsula. And then we zoom out and... uh, Right in here, we'll zoom back in, is the Suez Canal, which connects the Red Sea. Is that right? The Red Sea? Yeah, Red Sea to the Mediterranean. And uh, it's a major, major, major uh, transport area. Like a huge amount of the, the... goods throughout the world pass through the Suez Canal. Do you remember back during COVID when that one uh, barge got wedged in the Suez Canal and it just like backed up ships for they they had like thousands of ships waiting in line and and it just like put a hiccup in the entire global shipping like uh, supply chain just like everything was delayed again like it was already delayed and then you're just like oh fuck that part that I need for my pickup is in the Red Sea waiting in line for this fucking cargo ship to get pushed away so it can keep going and and unclog all this traffic. It's uh so if that whole region kicks off into war, um you got one of the major transport areas in the world that's gonna be uh, who knows what what will happen? Um, and, and Egypt controls the whole thing, so they have this this part, the Sinai Sinai Peninsula, and then uh, then they have the the rest of Egypt in in Africa proper, you know. And um, and then if you move up to Iran, um, over, yeah. Yeah, here's Iran. So you've got, where is the Strait of Hormuz? I think that's right there. Um, we can, we can look it up. Yep, I was right. So. That that little part of uh, the world is uh, all right. So we got Iran there, the Strait of Hormuz. You uh, you also get a lot of traffic coming, like a lot of oil traffic coming from Iran, Saudi Arabia, UAE. Um, you get a lot of a lot of goods coming out of uh, out of India. Uh, in through here, like also another major, uh, particularly with oil, uh, major, major route of commerce there. Uh, and then 
yeah, then you got the Suez Canal over here, which dumps you into the Mediterranean. And, uh, which is not far removed from the Black Sea, which is where Russia and, uh, Ukraine call home. And, uh, so there's a lot of, a lot of strategic interests in there for, uh, for, for people, you know, it's, uh, like a lot of, a lot of freaking, a lot of freaking traffic going, going through that part of the world. And, uh, if that whole region pops off and they, so you got this little bitty country here is Israel. And granted, they got a lot of cool shit, but we also can see they can get hit and get hit hard. Um, when they're when they're not ready and probably even if they are ready uh but like i said before you got lebanon up here who hates them syria up here who hates them egypt over here who tolerates them uh because the u.s gives them a bunch of money uh the saudis they don't really like them uh i don't i don't know what the jordanian stance is um but probably not great because the west bank is uh disputed territory between Jordan and, and Israel. So yeah. And then Iran's got a big military. Um, a lot of, they're, they're kind of a poor country nowadays because there's a bunch of sanctions on them, but they, they could, uh, they could put a hurting on Israel if, uh, if everything come to it. So, um, I just realized I didn't have that. I was showing you all this shit, um, but I didn't have it up on the screen. So, anyway, over here is the Strait of Hormuz. We got Iran, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, UAE, all pumping oil out of the ground, shipping it out into the Indian Ocean or to the Arabian Sea. Drop around. They'll come up through the Red Sea here through the Suez Canal into the Mediterranean and then off to uh, the Western world. Um, so this this little deal with Israel and, and uh, Hamas could really pop off into something big. And uh, I it's, it's one to kind of hold your breath on. I, I don't know where, where it's going to go, but um, on the beef front uh this one i read it in um i guess it's progressive cattle uh, you know if you've ever been into a feedlot office we we have all sorts of magazines that we subscribe to but or they they just send it to us because it's funny how many of these these uh market publications particularly on the cattle side are almost completely financed by pharmaceutical companies, which don't get me wrong. I, I'm not a big fan of, of pharmaceutical companies, but their cattle products for the most part are pretty good. I mean, they, they, they seem to work. Um, but they had a little blurb in here and is, um, this was about the beef improvement federation symposium up, uh, up in Canada. And uh, one of the 
the topics they brought up was sustainability and that led into the the beef dairy crossover conversation. So discussions on topics were both specific and wide ranging during the Beef Improvement Federation or BIF symposium held in Calgary, Alberta, July 3rd through the 7th. Usual suspects, EPDs, genomic testing, heterosis were covered, as were some uh, some issues, beef on dairy, methane emissions, cardiac health that may have been a bit more of a surprise to the uninitiated at an event ostensibly de- dedicated to beef cattle genetics. So uh, the Beef Improvement Federation is um, the group that like sets the standards for all the the EPD measurements and whatnot, and stated goal as uh furthering um the the genetic uh improvement of beef cattle and and the beef product as a whole so uh but they these are like um hardcore genetic nerds um they're like uh steer jocks on steroids um several presenters spent significant time discussing the dairy industry and in today's market, why not? This fascination with dairy comes with good reason. As Peter Amer of Abacus Bio Limited pointed out, more than 80% of North American dairy calves in, in, in a given year end up being fed and harvested as beef animals. Mike Lewis of CMEX told attendees that depending on the year, between 20 and 40% of the entire Canadian dairy herd produces calves from sex semen of beef breed bulls. Uh, Luis Lohuis Low Hewis. Yeah, Mike Low Hewis. L O H U I S. Uh talked about how an innovative genetic selection can create a more uh positive public opinion of the livestock industry. He said the uh, the beef on dairy and he said the beef on dairy phenomenon can play a huge role in that. Can producing Beef from the dairy herd changed the narrative, he said. Dairy beef produces both milk and more beef on the carbon footprint uh, of one calf. So we are turning out a we are turning a byproduct into a core product. Dairy and beef producers are getting better at communicating each other's expectations to each other so that the product will only get better. Um so this kind of just speaks to a kind of a growing trend that I've I've mentioned several times about how um it seems like a, another step towards the the vertical integration of the 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 cattle industry um it's pretty it's about as vertic- vertically integrated as you can get uh while still working with ranchers like the ranchers and uh that they they they're they're like the last problem to to vertical integration. <clears throat> well, with this situation here, where you're, as they're saying, you're taking just uh, what used to be just like a hindrance to to the dairyman, which was the bull calf. You didn't want them. You 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 got that cow bred so she'd have that baby and and keep and keep milking every day, twice a day, every day until. You know, until she she was uh, she was retired, and then there was just the the calf was in the bull calf in particular was just kind of an afterthought. Well, now they've got to where they're taking this really high dollar um, these semen straws from from high dollar uh, beef 
bulls and, and crossing them with their their dairy heifers, and you get this this little, funny little you know crossbred Angus Holstein calf that feeds pretty decent, um, grades really well, takes a little bit longer to feed, but uh, by and large, they're 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 just kind of. They're they're as cookie cutter as as Holsteins are, except they're they're all black hided, so they fit the the CAB program. They feed they fit all those <coughs> all those other programs that respond, uh, you know, in response to the the certified Angus beef deal. And it just it takes it seems in my mind this is my my humble opinion. It puts us one step closer to uh, just being a continual supply of, of, uh, of beef cattle coming out of the dairy cuts the, the rancher out and, and you get those, those deals on the, you know, it's all a sweetheart deal. Um, it's much like the big feedlots <clears throat> where you're just feeding, feeding the margins and, uh, and you know, you, you do pretty good and, and you're, you're big enough to where, you can kind of throw your weight around and these, these dairy guys will be, I mean, they're already pretty big players in, in the beef game and they're just going to get bigger and bigger as, uh, as this goes on. I, I don't, I, I, I can't say I've never heard of a, of a dairy downsizing here in the last several years, but there, there was one that closed down here, but it, it's opening back up that like the dairy, dairy businesses, uh, seems to be thriving pretty well. And, Oh, it it seems like a an obvious next course for uh for the those packers to take is is just further consolidation. Um so look out for that. I mean, if they're if you're not already tired of those crossbred calves, uh, well, get ready because there's going to be a whole bunch. Um on the on the packing front, um, meat snack maker fined one hundred forty thousand dollars. Faced shipping restrictions for child labor violations. Um, this has been a kind of a increasingly common story here over um, the past couple of years. Um, I guess the Biden administration has um, made, put a pretty big emphasis on um, cracking down on child labor. Uh, U.S. Department of Labor is ramping up enforcement activity and putting employers on notice as it reports a, a significant rise in the number of children illegally working at facilities. <clears throat> in this case, this is up in Minnesota. A manufacturer of meat and cheese snacks agrees to pay more than $140,000 in civil penalties uh, after at least 11 children were found to be employed illegally at a Minnesota factory. Uh, the U.S. Department of Labor found monogram meat snacks employed children uh, ages 15 to 17 at its meat packing and processing facility in Chandler, Minnesota. At least nine were operating hazardous machinery. A statement said, so this, this one seems kind of dumb. 15 to 7, 15 maybe. Uh, I think it used to be, I think it used to be 16 was when you could... Um, you could sign on as like a full-time laborer uh, during the summer. Um, maybe 15 is a little young, but I, I don't know. It's uh, 16, 17. I, that's a good year. That's a good age to start going out and, and 
hitting the workforce, maybe not full time, but at least having a job, knowing what work is, knowing where how you how you earn money, all that, getting uh getting a look at the taxes that get that get ripped out of your paycheck, all that. That's that's good good age to start all that. Um, in addition to the fine, Monogram was temporarily barred from shipping beef jerky cheese and other snack foods under the hot goods provision of the Fair Stand Labor Standards Act. Company said goods again are again shipping normally and the provision impacted one plant. Um there was there was another um Anyhow, there, there's, like I said before, this has kind of been an increasingly common story. Um, there was, uh, I believe it was JBS had a, had a company that contracted for him to, to, uh, clean their facility that was hiring like 12 and 13 year old um south american central american migrant children and that and these these were kids like working at two or three o'clock in the morning when when the plant was down you know and they're they're cleaning it out and using some incredibly caustic chemicals and uh pretty pretty blatant um you know pretty blatant violation of the child labor laws. Okay, so I found that article and I was wrong. It was Tyson and Purdue, not JBS. <coughs> uh, maybe this this was... Uh, you know, I think that other... My, my memory does serve me right, but I can't find that article at the moment. So this is a different one, but it, it follows a trend. Uh, Tyson and Purdue under investigation following reports of child labor at slaughterhouses. Uh, the meat giants faced federal probe after New York, uh, New York Times Magazine article detailed a 14-year-old being maimed uh, by equipment at a Virginia plant. Um, <coughs> let's see. Um, oh, so it was last week. They, they uh when was this story? This was September 27th. So it was a couple of weeks ago. Um, let's see. A 14 year old Guatemalan immigrant at a Virginia slaughterhouse operated by Purdue farms was maimed by, uh, a d- industrial deboning equipment. The teen was at, was tasked with cleaning residue from poultry processing last year when his arm was significantly injured. Huh? That's uh that's not great. Um so this was right there on on the disassembly line it sounds like a uh, 14-year-old Guatemalan immigrant. Um I mean that's not not a huge surprise. Um but when you when you put it in context you're like holy shit man that's 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 kind of kind of gross. Um but then I come up here and this is from October 4th, October 6th and uh, October 10th, Tyson lays off poultry workers in North Carolina. Um, 
The meat giant is cutting jobs as the industry navigates through a backdrop of volatile prices, inflation, and waning demand from high interest rates. Uh, Missouri pressures Tyson to sell two poultry plants set for closure. Attorney General Andrew Bailey joins U.S. Senator Josh Hawley in warning of devastating consequences to rural communities with the loss of factory jobs. <clears throat> Smithville to close North Carolina pork processing plant. Uh, the move is expected to help increase efficiency as the meat industry grapples with tightening margins. Okay, so uh, so M- Missouri and North Carolina. I would venture to bet those are not union plants. And they're being shut down anyways. So it's unlike the case of the auto workers where it seems like they are on the path to pricing themselves out of a job in uh, probably the fairly near future with uh, it really depends on how, how big this uh, electric vehicle thing gets, but um, the, with the demands that they were making on the, the automakers, of course they, they didn't get all of them. Um, I don't know if, I don't know if that that's been resolved uh, fully yet or not. <clears throat> I don't think it has, but I, I know that they were their their starting demand was like a forty percent uh, pay raise, and uh, I think that got dropped to like thirty. They were also wanting a four day work week, which we we covered on on Fence Post Politics last week, uh, or was it last week? week before so anyway, I know we've covered it um, but anyway like uh, going back to like the meat packing industry how how once when everything was centralized in like Chicago and, and Omaha and <laughs> Cincinnati and, and but m- mostly Chicago and then as the unions kind of grew got uh, got more powerful they uh, you know they got their pay increased and whatnot the the packers all moved out to smaller rural areas where they didn't have uh they didn't have like you know union friendly laws <coughs> a lot of uh, a lot of right to work states and and access to uh cheap uh mexican later central american uh asian african labor and uh yeah, and so now, but now you're seeing these these plants that they were able to operate way cheaper out in, in the sticks, like Garden City, Kansas, or somewhere, um, and in North Carolina and Missouri and whatnot. Uh, but now you're seeing some of these plants shut down, and and the ones that are open are, are they're paying a 14 year old Guatemalan immigrant. They're like, are you, you think they're paying him minimum wage? Like you're out of your fucking mind. If they're, if they've got him blatantly on the disassembly line, they ain't paying him full price. Fuck that. They, they know they don't have to. And, uh, so, and, and they're still closing plants down. I'm like, are, are they just getting that much better and, and efficient at, at, uh, breaking down an animal? Or, uh, you know, I, I don't know there. I mean, there, there's been a, a pretty significant drop in, uh, 
and the va- availability of beef uh, here <laughs> uh, as this drought has uh, like I, I've noticed it on on the feedlot and like we've been fairly empty for for a little while and a lot of it has to do with just one we had a, we had an incredible winter and spring so a lot of a lot of feed to be had but also not a lot of cattle to be had because there's a lot of herds that got sold off and a lot of, a lot of herds that got cut back severely with this drought. And, uh, and it hasn't really bounced back just yet. Like, I think it will. I mean, there's, there's guys buying heifers and whatnot. There's, it'll make a rebound. I don't know like what the, how strong of a rebound it, uh, who, who only, no, nobody knows, but, um, yeah, they're they're predicting like another five percent drop in uh in cattle slaughtered next year. And um and that's just that's just the drought catching up with you, you know. There's uh <coughs> so uh who's to say if that that plays into any of these uh these plant closures, but like uh these headlines, so it's a pork uh pork plant, a poultry plant, and um and another poultry plant. So I, I don't know anything. So like, like I was saying earlier in the show, uh, you're on this ride with me. Cause I, I don't know much about, about, about much, you know, when it comes to, to what's going on in, in the agriculture world, that world, I'm i I'm just on my, on my little pony, uh, cruising through some feedlot pins and, uh, talking shit on the internet so um uh, well so here here we go again there's another headline that uh bird flu cases reemerge at uh, u.s commercial poultry farms for the first time in months so we had that that case of bird flu that uh along with inflation dr- helped drive the the price of eggs through the roof um a lot of birds condemned and and I I never grew up around uh you know, you know like chicken farms and stuff. We we always had some sort of we've always had chickens it seems like. And uh but it's a handful of chickens. My my wife's got more than a handful at this point, but she's not like uh Arkansas chicken farm, <laughs> you know with a, a couple million birds uh in, in a you know, in a house and yeah, it's, I, I don't know much about that, that side of the, the industry, but, uh, how, how much did the bird flu play into these plant closures? And, and like, you kind of got a, I know coming from the, you know, the, the cowboy side of things, the ranch inside feedlot, you, you kind of tend to think about these, uh, these packers as just being diabolical. um, but they're all giant corporations and giant corporations are soulless. Uh, and it, that doesn't make them, you know, evil or, or, or great. It just like, they, they don't, they, they care about the profit and the efficiency and they're, you know, a good CEO's job is to just keep cranking out profits, you know, and efficiency all the time. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, And that that's kind of what the the entire 
the the entire poultry industry is is just a bunch of giant corporations. And I mean, all these ag industries for the most part are giant corporations. And um, and we're just like the little people here at the bottom, just feeding and feeding a little bit of our product into that that whole system that uh that helps you know feed the world and causes America to be uh, morbidly obese at an alarming rate. Um, but that's a, that's a topic for another day. Um, <clears throat> I guess, you know, we, I don't know. I, like I said, we, we, we kind of, and maybe it's just me, but you kind of, you kind of tend to look at some of these, these giant corporations as, as uh, as kind of like like evil entities and and I think some of them kind of are but um you kind of got to look look at it from just a strictly numerical economic point of view just like how how does this raise the stock the stock price how how does this uh increase the quarterly profits and and revenues and blah 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 how do you create a culture that embodies these values and bleep, 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 bleep. And it's, um, and everything's like, everything's running on a schedule. And, uh, but like you throw a kink into that schedule and, uh, shit goes haywire. And so who, who's to say that, uh, the avian flu didn't, didn't play a huge, uh, like, a huge role in, in causing some of these, these plant closures. Um, but also just like, how are they, how are they stooping to, uh, employing a 14 year old, probably illegal Guatemalan? Uh, they didn't, they didn't specifically say that, but for being honest, probably an, uh, an illegal immigrant, uh, <clears throat> Um, probably got papers from somebody, you know, uh, paying into social security that they'll never cash out, uh, because, uh, that, that ain't his, uh, that ain't his identity, but that's his, that, that's what, uh, that's what his social security card says. And by God, he's, uh, he's living the American dream, but I, I wonder like how many, how many people are they passing up to get to that guy? Cause I have a sneaking suspicion. It's not very many. I, I don't think they, they got a whole bunch of blue collar. Where was that one at North Carolina Mythfield plant? Um, let's see, let's see where they're at. Um, Let's see, uh, da, 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 Charlotte. Okay, so Charlotte's a pretty big city. And um, production of the meat giant Charlotte plant will be moved to its facility in Tar Heel. Uh, last day of production will be in December. Um, Smithfield's plant closure is the latest in an industry-wide contraction responding to sagging demand, dismal market prices, and elevated production costs. Uh, wholesale pork demands usually peaks in the summer, but high retail prices have muted sales in the U.S. 
Meanwhile, higher exchange rates keep uh, kept export profits below expectations. So this is an interesting, um, this is an interesting scenario. I was reading uh, as a um, maybe I still got that tab pulled up. Uh, um. Okay, here we go. So, uh, U.S. farm income to see largest ever drop. A uh, combination of high expenses and weak prices for major crops and livestock are expected, and livestock are expected to lead uh, to an estimated twenty-three percent decline in profits. Holy shit! That's uh that's a bummer. Holy fuck. Uh, U.S. farm income is expected to, pl- to plummet $42 billion this year, making the largest drop on record, according to the USDA. After reaching an all-time high last year, net farm income in 2023 is on track to fall to $141.3 billion. Um, agency cited lower cash receipts and higher production expenses for the significant downturn in farm income. A broad measure of profits. Um, so plummeting farm income is being driven by significant declines in cash receipts for major commodities such as corn, soybeans, cotton, dairy, hogs, poultry, and eggs. Uh, adverse condi- conditions affecting price are pressuring farm- lawmakers to establish robust safeguards for the upcoming farm bill. <coughs> It'll be really funny uh, the longer this uh, speaker debate, uh, like the longer that thing draws out, um, the the further in the back of the mind uh, it, the farm bill gets for for Congress. But meanwhile, like all these farmers, and uh, I, I don't even know if you can. Like, I don't know if you can grow a grain crop in the U.S. without having having it attached to some sort of government program. I mean, it, the... Man, the New Deal did a... did a bang-up job on, on the agriculture business. Uh, between that and uh, the... you know, like the fascist... Uh, model of uh, food production that we we exported from Germany at post World War II it uh it, it is amazing amazing just like how how many different programs there are from the government to uh to to like every every aspect of agriculture it, it is it is crazy and uh and then but that has to be renewed every time the farm bill comes up and that's just getting getting put further on the back burner because first of all you got to get a speaker and uh i maybe they're holding the vote this week i don't know um and then the the stopgap bill or whatever the spending bill that they passed uh that got mccarthy kicked out that expires um i don't know less than 45 days now but it was 45 days when it passed 
So now, in the meantime, they have to they have to elect a new speaker. Then they have to hammer out some sort of deal on that, or the government shuts down, which then puts everything else on hold until they uh, come to some sort of conclusion to to reopen the government, which. I almost just fully expect to happen the 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 government to shut down at some point because uh why not why not um we haven't had a good government shutdown since uh the last trump one so might as well might as well and um in the meanwhile like it sounds like it might be a shit year to be a farmer not that most years aren't shit years to be a farmer um but uh with these these interest rates hikes um you know it gets a lot more expensive to to borrow money and uh most of the farmers that i know i mean it's it's all on borrowed money like it, it's just it's all uh it's all based on loans that you can get from through this government program or that government program and and you're just like you're always just barely treading water and now now they're you're cutting off like another 23%. Well, how many of those uh how many farmers are going to go out of business again? Uh how many of them are going to just say that's enough and shoot them shoot themselves in the head? Uh but meanwhile, Bill Gates and China and a bunch of these BlackRock Vanguard, State Street, they'll buy them up, lump them into this another giant uh, corporate farming outfit and uh, further control the food supply. Yay! Um, but don't worry. Uh, we ended on, or we started on on Israel, Palestine will end on uh, on a similar note. So, um, Never fear, folks. While things look down for for the American public, the American farmer, uh, things look kind of dire. The USDA USDA has got your back, and uh, so Kate Bowen sent this to me. Uh, USDA's commitments to the national strategy to counter anti-Semitism. Um, Biden-Harris administration released the U.S. national strategy to counter anti-Semitism in May, on May 25th, 2023. I wonder if they, uh, they're kicking themselves for, uh, for not, like, launching that somewhere closer to this Israel-Palestine attack so they could get, um, you know, more brownie points for it, but uh, strategy outlines a whole of society approach to tackle the scourge of anti-Semitism in America. It features over 100 meaningful actions that over two dozen government agencies will take to counter anti-Semitism, as well as over 100 calls to action for Congress, state and local governments, companies, technology platforms, students, teachers, academics, civil society, and faith leaders and others to counter anti-Semitism. The four pillars of the strategy address key themes and threats raised by over 1,000 diverse stakeholders across the Jewish community and beyond. (sighs) Point one, increasing awareness and understanding of anti-Semitism 
including its threat to America and broaden appreciation of Jewish American heritage. Point two, improving safety and security for Jewish communities. Point three, reversing the normalization of anti-Semitism and, countering, and countering anti-Semitic discrimination. Point four, building cross-community solidarity and collective action against hate. Okay. Just what we needed. More diversity training. USDA's commitments include providing educational opportunities for law enforcement agents of the U.S. Forest Service to learn how to identify and counter anti-Semitic, Islamophobic, and related forms of discrimination. Providing educational opportunities for law enforcement uh, agents of the U.S. Forest Service to learn how to identify and counter anti-Semitic, Islamophobic, and related forms of discrimination. So either they're going to have a seminar where these forest forest agents are going to get to go on a paid vacation, essentially, to listen to some pink-haired lunatic drone on and on about how being an anti-Semite is bad. And, uh, and then they're just, like, uh, on their phone the whole time waiting for this crazy bitch to shut up so they can go uh, spend their traveling stipend at the bar and uh, hopefully hook up with uh, some, you know, desperate housewife that's uh, recently divorced and, uh, you know, she's in town for a real estate convention. And, um, or, like, that's, honestly, that I'd rather have that happen with my tax money. At least, at least somebody gets a, a little, uh, little reprieve from the everyday bullshit. But more more likely, it's just like, hey, here's another training course that you got to take. It's a series of uh, PowerPoints, and there'll be a test at the end. But you can go back and, and look, and um, you you get you know if you if you fit if you finish this, then uh, we'll have a pizza party on Fridays or something like that. That's probably what happened with with that providing educational opportunities for law enforcement agents of the U.S. Forest Service. Um, if you are in the U.S. Forest Service, particularly a law enforcement agent, and have been provided that educational opportunity to learn how to identify and counter anti-Semitic, Islamophobic, and related forms of discrimination, uh, please reach out to me. Uh, at move your ass on Instagram, best way, or uh, Matt at burning daylight.com. Uh, and if you did get provided with this educational opportunity, I'd like to hear about it. Uh, maybe I'm completely off base with both guesses, but I'd be interested to see how, how accurate that was. Um, they will also, um, their commitment also includes working with subject matter experts to develop and disseminate uh, materials for rural universities on how to uh, address specific incidents of anti-Semitism. Uh, 
create educational opportunities on Judaism, Jewish culture and identity, and histories of anti-Semitism, including the Holocaust for students, faculty, and staff, and ensure that the university, that university calendars are inclusive and accommodation policies are known to faculty and students alike. That seems like um, the ACLU will be all over their ass because that sounds uh, create educational opportunities on Judaism. That sounds like a state-sponsored religion. Uh, the you know a crossing of the you know the, the separation of church and state barrier, um, which is funny as this was uh, the people that wrote this policy. I guarantee you hate Judaism, they hate Christianity, they hate Islam. Uh, they're more they're either spiritual <coughs> or the rabid atheists. But it's just uh, their their gut instinct is to pander. And so educational opportunities on Judaism. So you're going to teach a class on uh, uh, on religion uh, in, in your rural universities. Um, okay, seems to go counter what against you know what they would. These these would be the people like you know. Uh, the, the people that wanted uh wanted the Ten Commandments uh removed from the the what was a a courthouse in Oklahoma or something like that. Those those people that, that would they, these are the people that would want it removed. But yet they they want the USDA to uh create edu- educational opportunities on Judaism for rural universities. Uh, I hope it makes sense to somebody but not to me Um, convening rural institutions of higher education and land grant colleges to share promising practices to address anti-Semitism and other forms of hate and bias everybody's just on the lookout for hate we hate hate gonna eradicate it um, providing educational opportunities for 4-H, FFA, and other rural youth organizations to learn how to identify and counter anti-Semitism and related forms of discrimination. Um, <coughs> it'd be hilarious if uh, it became like a whole new contest at the FFA uh, judging events and uh, you had to identify encounter anti-Semitism for, for the, you know, for the, for the contest. And you also had to give reasons. I, I rate this class of anti-Semitic uh, terrorism four, three, one, two. And then number four was clearly the head of the class when it came to anti-Semitism. It had all the hum, hallmarks, uh, caricature with a hooked nose, uh, drooling over money, uh, had a law degree uh, sticking out of his back pocket. And, uh, you know, while number one was just a casual mention, 
to usury and uh, and banking and and for that reason i believe this this class stands as i called and it's been a long time since i did a set of reasons and i was thinking on the spot not my best work but that's going to be a bit that's going to be that's going to i'm going to tell a i'm going to tell a really good joke on that on that premise um huh okay so working to ensure equal access to all usda feeding programs isn't that isn't that funny how they label it USDA feeding programs, like the feeding program you have for 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 a set of steers. I have a feeding program for my horse. I don't have a feeding program for my for my kids. You know, like we <coughs> we have a, a diet, you know, that, that we uh that we subsist on, but we we don't have a feeding program. Like feeding programs are for animals. But that's how how the USDA sees us all. So, um, feeding programs for USDA customers with religious dietary needs. This will include increasing commercially available kosher and halal foods that are priorities for Jewish and Muslim program uh, participants. Expanding the number of kosher or halal certified foods in USDA's uh, food procurement. Training schools on how to meet students' religious dietary needs for the national school lunch and school breakfast programs and expanding outreach and technical assistance for kosher and halal meat uh, processors. Uh, convening a dialogue with religious leaders from across rural America to assess the state of anti-Semitism and highlight effective strategies to counter, strategies to counter anti-Semitism centered on building solidarity across faiths. Convening a dialogue with religious re- leaders from across rural America to assess the state of anti-Semitism. Hey, preacher man, how's your anti-Semitism today? Let's have a talk. <coughs> Let's find some effective strategies to counter this here anti-Semitism. Jesus. That's creepy. That That is just... That, that whole... I got no problem with with Jewish people uh, at all. Like I, I, I have no issue. Rob's one of my good friends. I I love that guy to death. Uh, do you not? Do they not see how shit like this creates anti-Semitism? Like uh, the kid's gonna get made fun of for having the having the kosher meal, which so. Instead of a cheeseburger, he just gets a hamburger or a grilled cheese because you can't mix the two in in the kosher diet. Um, off chance, he gets uh, you know the kids think other kids think maybe it's cool, maybe that's a better. He's got a kosher lunch. I want a kosher lunch, and they so they they become Jew for a day, and then they're like, oh, but I, I want a cheese on my burger, and they're like, oh, not not in kosher, buddy, and they're like, oh. Well, that dude's gay. Why? Why? He? Why does he eat that every day? And you're just like pointing out all this shit for them to make fun of. You're like, this is what some people. Some people say Jews have large noses and are in love with money. <laughs> Guarantee you, that's somewhere in this training dialogue that they're gonna they're gonna put forth. And uh, 
Well, chances are there are a bunch of kids that would have known nothing about that that stereotype. I didn't know about a lot about Jewish stereotypes because we didn't have a lot of Jewish people around where I was from. And uh, I didn't know a lot of them until I went to college. And uh, and I spent several weeks uh, on on the East Coast with uh, with a Jewish family. And the the most shocking thing for me was how unreligious they were. I I was like, well, you guys aren't very, very good Jews, it seems like. <laughs> like They're like, oh, we go to temple every now and then. Uh, and they're just, they're just secular Jews for the most part. Didn't make sense to me, but it's all, it's a whole, whole thing, I guess. And, uh, but yeah, all, all you're doing is just like shining a, a brighter spotlight on Jewish people and, uh, and with this training, well, you'll have because you got to know what to look for, and so they're going to tell you all this shit that that uh, that the the true Jew haters will bring up, and uh, they're just yeah, this is what we're looking for. And we can't have that. And like some kids will be like, oh, "You're a kike." That's what's going to happen. It's when they're, it's going to be a couple of high school kids. Uh, calling each other a bunch of Jewish slurs, all thanks to the USDA's uh, efforts to combat anti-Semitism. And on that note, I hope you all have a wonderful week. Um, let me know what you think of this show, uh, this particular format for the for the Ag News. I haven't I haven't come up with a catchy name for it just yet, but I will. Don't you worry. Um, but let me know what you think, and uh, yeah. Move your ass. We're burning daylight. You rise up in the morning beneath the stars so bright. Pull your hat down, make sure your cinch is tight. Horses kind of snuffy, cold chill up your spine. We'll get your ass moving, sun will burn daylight. Burning Get your ass moving, sun, you're burning daylight.